Hi, my name is Olivier Krüger, Global CEO of Lufthansa Systems, and you are listening to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. Emotional inclusion is a call to all companies to take a stand and realize the urgent need to invest in a therapist in their organizations to address the emotional state of their employees, and especially those who need to be reintegrated into the workforce post-trying circumstances. Over my decade and a half long career in the fashion industry and listening to hundreds of stories of people who have navigated work whilst facing the perfect storm, I've realized the urgent need to advocate a safe platform in the corporate world where emotions can be heard, recognized, and dealt with for an enhanced business productivity. I invite you to tune in as I share practical wisdom and empowering conversations with influential leaders to break down archaic business stereotypes and lead the way to a better emotionally accepting corporate ecosystem. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast is here to shatter the status quo of today's business landscape and lead the way to a wholesome new mindset in the workforce. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. My guest joining us on the show today is Olivier Kruger. Olivier is the global CEO of Lufthansa Systems. Lufthansa Systems is one of the world's leading providers of IT services in the airline industry. It draws its unique strengths from an ability to combine profound industry know-how with technological expertise and many years of project experience. Formed as a spin-off of the Lufthansa Systems Group Airline Solutions Division, the company continues the brand now familiar to the airline industry worldwide. The company offers its more than 350 airline customers an extensive range of successful and, in many cases, market-leading products for the aviation industry. Lufthansa Systems also supports its customers both within and outside the Lufthansa Group, consulting services, and the experience it has gained in projects for airlines of every size and business model. Having worked in many countries around the world, leading large international multicultural teams throughout his career, Olivier is known to be an empathetic and humble leader. Close to his people, many are those who testify that Olivier leads from the heart. I've known Olivier for many years and attest to the fact that his leadership, modus operandi, is one to be watched and learned from. And so without any further ado, Olivia, warm welcome to the show this morning. How have you been? Good morning, Molly. I'm doing very well. Thank you so much also for the kind introduction. I'm very happy to be here today. Well, lovely to have you on and this time in a podcast setting and not around a coffee or a meal, but either scenario will do. So I'll jump right into my first question. Happily. 
So, Olivier, for the heads of small and big companies listening to this podcast, but also for the followers who align with emotional inclusion in the workforce, could you please share with us your story and what has shaped you into the wholesome CEO that you are and what is for you the embodiment of what a true leader is or should be? Very happily, Molly. Thank you so much. Well, when you approached me on the topic of psychological well-being, not only, but in particular during the COVID-19 pandemic, it was actually very easy for me to say yes to you. As you just said, uh, as a CEO of a worldwide operating company in the airline IT sector, uh, we're extremely affected by the implementation of measures such as the lockdowns, uh, heavy travel restrictions, but also social distancing in general. And thus, there is a lot to say about the fact that this pandemic confronts employees with severe work-related and private demands at the same time. This has significant impact on all of our well-being, and this comes also with a corporate responsibility in my eyes. So what has shaped me in all of this? Well, career paths are always individual journeys, but also the way we grew up shapes us, of course. And uh, in my case, it definitely shaped me a lot, <laughs> so to say. I was born in Germany, but quickly my family moved to Chile in South America, then to New York. And after a few years back in Germany, we actually moved to India, where I went to school. I earned my high school degree, then later on in Geneva, in Switzerland. And as for my academics, I first studied law and then international relations in Germany and Finally, I did my master's at the Sciences Po for political science and sociology in France. Later, I took the chance to continue this international career path until today, which I really appreciated, I have to say. I worked on the West Coast in the United States, moved to Hong Kong in China, and before I took over responsibility as a global CEO for Lufthansa Systems back here in Germany, I actually headed the Asian business out of Singapore for a couple of years. Beside this intercultural context that has dominated my life, so to say. A few individuals, of course, on the other side have made a significant difference in my life. I had great bosses and not so good ones, but also peers and colleagues who somehow shaped me quite a lot. During the times of my law studies, for instance, I was working in a law firm and the wife of the partner of that law firm approached me by saying that she had applied in my name for a program at the university in Dresden to go back to school to study international relations. And to be honest, I was already in my 30s, and that was not my intention at all. I wanted to take off and work. Her explanation was clear and simple. Don't work hard to develop a passion, but find your passion and then work hard to become the best in what you love. As simple as this story may sound to you, it really shaped me until today. I met many excellent top executives later on who were somehow miserable in their work life for the simple reason that they did not have followed their passion. But it also taught me a lesson on the other side, actually, to help others to find their passion. And this is something I'm doing today on a daily basis, so to say. I'm trying it. Yeah, that has a lot to do with leadership, which leads me to your second question, the second part of your question. What is a true leader uh, and what is true leadership to me? Well, in my eyes, leadership is all about developing people and helping others reach their full potential. It's easily said, but not really easy to put into operation, so to say. It's about equipping others with the right tools and strategies, not only to maximize the success of an organization, but also the lives of individuals. And in particular, the latter part is quite often not in the focus of an organization, even though I was really lucky in my life, I worked in great corporations, but even in those, that was not priority number one. 
And if I had to pick just a few qualities of a good leader, I would definitely choose besides like accountability, a vision, clarity, I would choose empathy. Looking at Lufthansa Systems, my own company or the company I have the privilege to work for, we have incredibly high educated people on board with backgrounds like mathematics, physics, information technology and other rather complex disciplines. And these colleagues are, are very reflected personalities, but not always equipped with sufficient empathy or so-called soft factors. As a corporation, we have a responsibility to look from a holistic perspective at our workforce. And last but not least, I'm a big fan of positivity, in particular in these difficult times and indispensable leadership skills in my eyes. Olivier, you have such a rich and colorful background, and thank you for this answer. And I truly couldn't agree with you more. As we know, empathy is actually a key practice for the servant leader and also a responsibility, right? I mean, it entails truly Absolutely. feeling the emotions of the other person and doing so without judgment and criticism. And also, as you stated, empathy begins with listening, truly being present in the moment with someone and listening with your whole self. And the world needs more leaders like you, Olivier. But you know, Molly, everyone knows that listening is so important, but still we don't really listen to each other. And very often for a very simple reason, we have our ideas in mind and we want to pursue them. And we forget that actually all these ideas are nothing without the interaction with other people. So you're absolutely right. Listening is absolutely key. And we need to remind ourselves again and again that it's something that we don't obviously don't do naturally. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Olivier. Now, Lufthansa Systems is one of the world's leading providers of IT services in the airline industry. And how have you navigated the pandemic with your teams and, and what have been your greatest learnings in terms of keeping them engaged and at their peak performance, especially within the context of hybrid work scenarios? Well, it's a very good question. I mean, as everyone in the world, and in particular in our industry, the pandemic somehow came overnight, right? We in the airline IT industry, we're actually quite used to crises. This one is clearly very, very different. Almost everyone in the world is impacted, and we still can't really foresee when it will be over. And uh, once it's over, what does it mean to us? I mean, how will the world look like? Certainly, that's the only thing we can say. Certainly not the way it was before the pandemic started. And um, I mean, reality is we had to deal with the situation and we still have to. There's some psychological research that has shown that, especially in situations of high uncertainty, first of all, people tend to fall back to old behavior patterns. I mean, it's easy. They learned that there is a successful connection between showing behavior A and, and leading to the effect B. And secondly, <laughs> they look at what their peers are doing. But the peers are unsecure as well and also fall back into the old pattern. And then came on top this time. I mean, we all have pandemic plans in our drawers, right? But they actually didn't really reflect the situation to the full extent. And again, I mean, we're talking an industry that is probably better prepared than others to ad hoc crises and disruptive moments. But as I said, there's a huge difference between crises like, let's take an example, the disruption of a volcano. You probably remember a few years ago, or technical problems, which in the airline world are quite normal. But these issues don't last forever, and they don't turn the entire world upside down. And we have clear answers how to deal with those. So what was our response to this very different crisis? First of all, technology. 
We rapidly deployed collaboration technologies like Teams or other platforms. And secondly, we increased communication. We increased communication throughout uh, all Lufthansa Group companies. I mean, we're talking more than 130,000 people around the world at that time. We started uh, with the Lufthansa system with live webcasts for all employees around the world and dedicated most of the time actually to Q&A. We didn't steer the questions, nor did we leave any question unanswered. If there was not enough time during the webcast, we provided publicly the answers in writing afterwards. It was very important for us to provide that type of transparency. So in other words, we got closer together actually in the time where social distancing became the word of the year, so to say, and trust played a huge role. And hashtag being in this together was very important for us. But if you look into, I mean, what I just described, these are tools and approaches that helped, certainly, though creating a sense of you're not alone in this was equally important. And it had to be addressed on the empathy level. So tools are not really helping, they're supporting, but they're not the answer to it. Some of the things actually I always wanted to implement in the legacy world, right, and in the world before COVID suddenly came from alone. I'll give you a rather funny example, though it shows actually something. If I think of like in before COVID times, bosses were entering a room with plenty of people waiting for him to take a seat at the end of the table, sometimes even in a larger chair. And there was a front office to pass and a couple of other hurdles, right? And nobody really started the meeting before the CEO, CFO, head of whatever you name it, started the meeting. Teams, Zoom, and all of these platforms, they were totally different. And I think it's one of these developments I really appreciate. Everyone is on eye level. Hierarchy doesn't play at the same role anymore. Everyone can mute the other. And somehow I feel meetings became much more efficient, shorter, and those who can't contribute anything meaningful don't attend anymore, only for the sake to be seen, since you're simply not seen if you don't contribute. And of course, we went through a learning curve. And the question is, how will we conduct hybrid work models now and in the future? How can we benefit from the best of the two worlds? Transparency, documentation, discipline. Discipline in the sense of not working too much at home, right? And many other topics in this context need to be discussed. And maybe as a last statement, we have to look at what it does to our employees. How can we ensure we see what's going on on the emotional side when things go wrong and they're happening in front of a screen without social interaction? You touched on so many important points, and I appreciate what you're saying about no longer having your CEO chair and how that has effectively indeed equalized everybody and everyone as everyone within this hybrid context is, as you point out to very rightly at the same eye level in that computer square. And so it's an interesting dynamic at large. And it's fair to state that every business has had its operational framework, <laughs> you know, thrown into question Absolutely. over the year. And it took a global pandemic for us to really examine how to work with one another with greater empathy over communication and all the human relations, if you will, that we need to apply within our leadership role in order to keep the business going in the most effective manner. So thank you for this response. It's a very interesting and on point one so I guess it leads me to my next question in terms of what does emotionally inclusive leadership mean to you within the realms of a technology company? 
And I love what you had mentioned to me in one of our conversations. And you have this saying, which I will not go ahead and allow myself to pronounce in German because I do not speak German and I will try not to make a fool of myself on this podcast. But you mentioned this phrase. I'm I'll help you out. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that phrase in German, I'm a people catcher. And what does it mean for you to catch people's attention by having an emotional connection in a highly digitalized sector such as yours? Yeah, I have a big smile on my face because the word Menschenfänger is actually when you translate it word by word, it would be a people catcher, but that doesn't really bring the point across. So I'll try to explain it. Coming from, you were referring to a technology company, right? And yes, we are. We are an IT company within the airline industry, so highly tech company. And when you think in general of uh, IT companies, tech companies, you may think of uh, unshaved, pale, white men writing some code, right? And I hope my colleagues will forgive me for that statement. I'm part of it. I mean, well, I'm shaved today, but uh, I'm pale at the moment. Not writing code, but other things. But actually, I can tell you that our company is a very diverse, colorful company with people from all over the world that have one thing in common. They are super passionate about what they do, and they love aviation, IT, and technology. And do we have sufficient diversity? No, no, definitely not. But we're actively working on it, and we're very much aware of it, that there is a necessity. We're not doing it for the buzzwords that are around. We're doing it because we believe that we are a much better company, a better community, if we have that diversity throughout the, the entire company. I have to say it's quite difficult, but that would be a topic for another podcast, to find sufficient female leaders and employees for an IT tech company. But maybe that podcast is going to help us also in this regard. As a leader, it is important to address individuals, right? It is important to connect with them, not only on a business and cognitive level, but especially on an emotional one. And let's have a look at my own role. I see the responsibility to provide a clear vision that really excites. And this can't be done by pure ratio. We need to catch people emotionally. And this is where this word comes into play that you were referring to. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure you would pronounce it in a much nicer way. But uh, maybe I can do it in a more German way. Uh, we have this term called Menschenfänger, as I said. And this equals people catcher, but it describes people who are incredibly inspirational. And as a leader, I have to be aware of potential biases and preferences and actively seek how to address their views and perspectives, right? Whether I'm a real good Menschenfänger, as you said, I don't know, but I'm working very hard on this. And in addition, we have always been, as a company, distributed around the globe. And before the pandemic, I tried and many other leaders actually to visit all our locations regularly and also be there in person. Of course, that counts for our customers, but equally important to get in touch and to be in touch with our people. Of course, can't just hop on an airplane, right? And travel as we did before the crisis. Otherwise, Molly, you and I would have been sitting next to each other while doing this podcast. But on the company side, we therefore established uh, new means of communication to actively address all our colleagues, keep them updated, engage, and we're extremely transparent, as I stated earlier. Technology, you're referring to that, and emotions are, in my eyes, no contradiction. In contrary, technology can help us to actually focus on the emotional level and I have to say that I'm surrounded by people who have a clear understanding of this interdependency. So 
if you come to visit us uh, at any location around the world, you'll be surprised how colorful, empathic, and diverse our tech environment nowadays is. But yes, we're very much aware of the fact that we need to focus on this again and again. And it has to do with the mindset. It's been a change a process, and it will continue to be a trained process, I guess. Now, for you, Olivier, leadership is all about empowerment. Could you tell us more about this? Yeah, it's one of my favorite topics, actually. I've seen great leaders and not so great leaders, and I learned from both. But those who empowered me actually got the most out of me. At the end, it's all about trust. I mean, recently I read a book by Marty Kagan. I don't know whether you know him. He wrote an amazing book called Empowered, subtitled Ordinary People, I think, Extraordinary Products or so. And basically said that companies and their managers very often still think and act purely in service of the business stakeholders, but not to the team. There's no coaching, no understanding on how great people think and how great people actually are. Empowering leadership is the choice of leaders to engage in behaviors that allocate greater responsibility and freedom to followers and effectively increase their motivation levels, which may ultimately lead to higher levels of success. At least that's my experience in my work life. And Marty Kagan also quoted in his book, Empowered, one of the, in my eyes, greatest coaches in our times, though I have to say he passed away a few years ago. His name is Bill Campbell. And he stated a sentence that is somehow my mantra, that there's no speech or presentation where I don't use that statement. It goes like this. Um, Leadership is about recognizing that there's a greatness in everyone, and your job is to create an environment where that greatness can emerge. You have to know that Bill Campbell, actually, he coached the most successful CEOs in the world without charging them, like talking about Amazon and Google. And he did that all at the same time, so even competing companies. And that was kind of his key sentence that he also used, and I love it so much, that's why I always have to quote it. I also have to say, of course, there's not a perfect example of a leader in my eyes, but people tend to identify, say, certain figures, such as, let's take historical figures like Martin Luther King or Abraham Lincoln or Nelson Mandela. Other people may choose a parent or a company CEO. But Each of these individuals are inevitably different in their traits, in their characteristics, level of responsibility, and even in public recognition. Yet each of them display leadership in a very unique way. So in this sense, leadership is, in my opinion, a very highly individualized matter. Yeah, no, it's so on point. And I think, as you say, and when people feel empowered, they truly believe in themselves and does promote that optimism and can-do spirit that gets things done faster and better. And that's how successful leaders are able to bring their companies to the greatest levels possible. Very true. I mean, look, if you just think of also from a company perspective, empowerment comes at such a low cost and a huge effect. I mean, empowerment is something that you don't have to buy any tools to provide empowerment, right? The only thing you need to do, the only thing, so to say, you need to do is to base your work on trust, to make sure that, of course, as a manager, you get the right people around you to come to the right results. But then trust and allowing others actually to be empowered is something that doesn't cost you a single cent, but uh, helps you to create an organization which is extremely effective and a lot of fun to work in. Absolutely. Now, we know that leading in an authentic way requires a balanced emotional state. And I would be interested, and I'm sure, again, our listeners would be, to know how do you care for your own emotional well-being? 
Thanks, Molly, for that question. I have to say, I changed a couple of things. And during the pandemic, I established some routines, and I wish I had done that before. And I will try to keep them to some extent, at least to the after-crisis period. Here again, I was inspired by a book from an author called Matthew Walker. It's a book named Why We Sleep. So as a routine, I make sure I go to bed and start my day at the same time every day. It sounds easy. It's not. It took me months to get there. Of course, not traveling around the world also helps because there's no different time zones that I have to manage somehow. I start every morning with a yoga session since now almost a year already. And I'm very strict with that. And afterwards, I prepare a kind of a barista level coffee for my wife and myself. And we enjoy the moment for just a few minutes in the morning where we don't have our cell phones on. We're not in front of a screen. We're just looking at each other or into nature and just be aware of the fact that we're there. And it, it gives me a lot of boost, positive boost into the day. I run minimum 100 kilometers a month without taking any cell phone with me or not taking any calls, sometimes just listening to my inner self or allowing my thoughts to go nowhere. Sometimes I listen to your podcast, Molly, which is very appreciated. <laughs> and sometimes I go to the mountains and fly with my paraglider just to be free. And there's uh, even if I want it, there's no cell phone connection up there. So I'm really on my own and I have to focus on, on flying safe and enjoy nature. So I do very simple things. I try to put them into a routine and that helps me to have a balance from an emotional point of view, which I really appreciate a lot more than I did before. It's a very good routine, Olivier, and I think as you pointed out to being absolutely intransigent in terms of making it a priority and not wavering from, again, that yoga practice or coffee with your wife and just having that laid out for you and having it not be an option, not to go by that routine does leave way to mental clarity and leaves way to, I'm sure, receiving a lot of internal guiding routes in terms of how you want to be not only steering your day or steering your team, but also steering your life as a whole. I think there's a lot of power in terms of having very strict set practice. Absolutely. And it takes a lot of discipline, but I know you get that you're very hardworking and obviously a very high achiever, like many leaders are and tend to be. So wonderful. It's a wonderful routine. Thanks a lot for sharing. Now, transitioning quickly back to hybrid work scenarios, because I'm just curious, you mentioned in one of our conversations that the irony of our world today is that we hire, in your words, we hire our employees in the old world, and yet they're asked to work in the new world, where the pace, of course, of the digital realm is running faster than ever before and in the backdrop of COVID. And so this inevitably brings on a whole lot of fear, right? Now, you work with Dr. Constanza, who has her PhD in psychology. She works alongside you, actually, as your executive assistant. But she took on the initiative of creating a what you dub playbook. 
which was rolled out to the entire Lufthansa group. So I'd be curious to hear more about that playbook and what sparked the idea in the first place and perhaps what are some key metrics that you could share with us in terms of how it's spearheaded proactiveness and ambassadorship or retention, for example. Yeah, I'm very happy to do that. I mean, you're absolutely right. I see that, and it includes myself, right? I was hired in the legacy world, I always call it, a term that we're using in the airline world a lot. And we were hired for very good reasons. We were highly educated, specialists in our fields, and we were prepared actually to be successful in this type of environment that we're all used to until actually a couple of months ago. So we thought of the first thing we need to do is we need to understand actually where our people stand. And this is why very early on in the crisis, we actively started listening to our employees. And we asked very simple questions, but in a very meaningful way, like we normally do when we meet each other, how are you doing? But we went deeper. What are you struggling right now? What do you like about working from remote? How are your specific circumstances in this new work environment? How is the communication with colleagues and customers? What are you lacking, actually? And do you feel that you're more, less, same, efficient at home as in the office? And how is your inner world looks like? And in other words, we collected qualitative and quantitative data. We conducted surveys, uh, workshops, and interviews, actually everything through our own employees. And we then put together a so-called focus group with all kinds of colleagues, so to say, like regular employees, team leaders, top management, and a group we called remote working experts. As they were already actually working from remote, we found out then, so to say, since years to be closer to certain customers. For instance, we have colleagues who are working from home because there's only one colleague sitting in a certain area in Australia, right? So this person was actually able to tell us a lot about how it is working from home. We never realized that, but in that moment, it came to surface. And the feedback actually was quite interesting we received from our employees. And we conducted those surveys around the world, so different cultures, different settings. One feedback was we feel, and that was interesting to me to see that, the feedback was we feel much more trust in us from our leaders since the pandemic. Interesting. I would have never thought about that. Another feedback was, of course, we miss our colleagues. And that statement went in line with a study actually from Microsoft conducted in 2021, which showed that the person we are in regular contact with significantly changed. So we're much more in contact with the closer network, but significantly less in contact with the loose ties in our networks. And significantly less means here that we're almost not in contact anymore. So we're losing something. And that is, of course, something we don't want, in particular, not in our international context that we're working. Um, also interesting feedback maybe from our colleagues was, we do not want to go back to the pre-crisis world. We want the best of the two worlds. That was an interesting statement. And if you dig deeper into it, it's of course much more complex than just comparing two simple worlds. And this is actually when a greater idea was born to create a new hybrid world together. It's a framework for this new hybrid work that was developed and named Playbook, as you've referred to. And it covers a wide range of topics, like when to go to the office, so very simple things, but also how to conduct great remote meetings and workshops, how to work with customers, how leadership looks like in the new setup. 
And since we're talking today about emotional inclusion and the obvious necessity to look at this topic with professional eyes, I'm not surprised that actually my executive assistant, Constanze, you were referring to earlier, who indeed has a PhD in psychology, developed this playbook jointly with a group of highly engaged employees from all our locations worldwide as a framework called, at the beginning, How to Work Happy, Healthy, and Efficiently in a Hybrid World. And to be very honest, in the first moment, And people were a bit laughing about it and said, mm, this is one of these psychological, esoterical, sorry if I use these terms, but uh, that was the first feedback. But then there was a movement and it got stronger and stronger. And it became such a huge success, this Lufthansa Systems Playbook. And then as a consequence, actually, the Lufthansa Group rolled it out to all our ground staff worldwide. And now we're talking more than 100,000 people again. And we were also contacted, actually, by other huge corporations in Germany, not only in the travel and transportation industry, but also in other industries, which makes us particularly proud. And it goes to, actually, Constanze and her team. I clearly have to say that. And what I particularly love about this initiative is that it came from bottom up. Our employees wanted to actively shape the future of our workplace for the best of their fellow colleagues, but also for the business, of course. We also have to say that changing habits and behavior is hard, and the playbook as such is not sufficient. When we therefore implemented, again, with the guidance of Constanze, a transformation team accompanying our colleagues in this process. We stay in continuous exchange with all our colleagues. Uh, for example, we just conducted another survey worldwide and did in-depth interviews with our managers, including our top management. And interestingly, the survey results are similar to the ones a year ago. So the majority of people do want to have the choice to work from remote more often, but we need to make sure that we shape the circumstances in a way that it's not only support in a technical way, but also in the mental and psychological way. We trust that our employees know best what environment they need to do their best job, but we also need to make sure that people are not exploiting themselves, for instance, because we simply don't see it anymore. Absolutely. Now, why do you think, jumping on your answer here, that so many leaders and companies still have so many biases around addressing the emotional state of their employees through a medical lens and through our various talks you had mentioned that the law systems and insurance policies and the health system at large in Europe is highly regulated. But I still think it's a question that begs to be answered. And it's a question that I ask the leaders on this podcast quite a lot because it still puzzles me to this day. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the matter. Yeah, actually, it was interesting to me as well to listen to what your other guests were saying about this. I mean, unfortunately, I think we all have this one common statement that sadly, we live in a culture where there's still today stereotypes around seeing a therapist and psychologist, right? It is often seen as a weakness. Uh, however, it's a strength to know which issues you can't solve on your own. I mean, I'll give you a very simple example where everyone is going to say, yeah, of course, if you break your leg, you go to see a medical doctor, right? Let me make a very bold statement. I'm actually really convinced that the world would be a better place if everyone would see a therapist from time to time and whenever necessary. And what necessary means, this is what we need to talk about. I know it sounds strange in many managers' ears, and I'm pretty sure if there's any colleagues listening to that, they will have the same feeling. But when having one-on-one -on -one conversation, suddenly the content of the conversation 
totally changes. Not only with females, but also, and in particular, that's my personal experience with males, if they want to grab the chance to finally talk about this topic. I guess COVID changed a lot here, and I believe this is a good development. I mean, in this sense, we can see more and more that things are changing and that there is less stigmatization around the topic in particular. Of course, there are some, as you said earlier, right, some formal hurdles we need to manage. But I believe, like in any other situation, hurdles are there to be overcome. And there can't be a showstopper. In Europe, as you said, for example, companies always have to see whether this is a responsibility that is covered by the health insurance or by the company itself. And therefore, many companies in Europe offer so-called psychological counseling. These experts help employees with immediate problems like be it private or job related. And they are focused on helping in which direction to go from there. Interestingly, we have plenty of labor laws ensuring the health of our employees Though this derives from a time where employees were mostly working in, let's say, unhealthy environment. Just think of the industrialization time. But emotional well-being was not a topic, and the lawmakers simply didn't have that in mind. And also, let's be honest, there are still many business environments where the toughest one actually takes it all, right? And to me, actually, this is a very good reason why we need a much more female and diverse work environment. And we need to create the awareness that emotional inclusion is not a side topic. It's a key to success on certain levels. I like what you say, Olivier. And actually, the World Health Organization mentioned in one of their statements, which I really like, and to quote them, they mentioned that mental health has been hidden behind a curtain of stigma and discrimination for too long. And it's really time to bring it out in the open, isn't it? I mean, the magnitude, the suffering and burden in terms of disability and costs for individuals and families and society alike are staggering. So I think it's, again, in the backdrop of COVID, which, as you were pointing very rightly, has it's just accelerated the matter that much more. And, and again, it's time. Now, with your alignment with emotional inclusion for our new listeners, the said definition and mission behind emotional inclusion is for all companies to invest in a trained therapist in-house to oversee the emotional wellness of their employees in a sustainable way. Do you believe that we are culminating to that soon-to-be platform, new corporate platform within companies, and why? Yeah, actually, I do. I mean, despite all the barriers that we described in the question before, I think this discussion needs to take place on a society level on one side, but then also very specifically in concrete on company level. I have to say I'm quite fortunate actually to work in an environment that has already done a lot in that field. At Lufthansa Group, for instance, we have a dedicated department for psychological counseling. Employees can address these experts fully anonymously. Whenever they have an issue in their business or their private life, as I stated earlier, and during the pandemic, I really like that uh, they extended their offer. For example, addressing parents struggling with the combination of having a busy job, not only having the job, but additional responsibilities for homeschooling and looking after their kids. And saying this and describing this is one thing, but being 
someone who is actually in this whole different world. I mean, we need as companies to understand that this is something that we cannot just close our eyes and demand people to be there from nine to five or whatever. We need to address this. There's also support for leaders who struggle with new ways of virtual leadership and any other topics. So we help if there is a conflict between colleagues, have various offerings around the topics of mindfulness, resilience, stress, and so on. Overall, I do foresee a better understanding of executives, how much benefit emotional inclusion can and does bring to modern workplaces. And yeah, I mean, the pandemic has shown us all how vulnerable we are in our environment. And as much as we understand technical issues like conducting team sessions, for instance, we need to understand that the emotional well-being needs professional support as well. That's so great to hear. Thank you for that, Olivier, and so refreshing. And also for all the leaders that are listening again to this podcast, I think that voices like yours who call on the importance of this measure will hopefully take note and also apply a similar structure within their companies. And as you again alluded to earlier, you've seen the positive effects it has had not only on your team, but on your bottom line at large. And the pull is greater than us, right? Either way we look at it, I think that's inevitably going to be a subject matter that every company is going to have to look at and every leader is going to have to look at. And it takes a hefty dose of bravery and understanding that vulnerability within the subject matter is really a strength at large. So thanks for your answer, Olivier. Now, as we're getting close to the end of our conversation, I would like to ask you if you were to leave our audience with one key takeaway from today's conversation within the realm of emotional inclusion, what would it be? Well, as we stated so many times already, the pandemic has changed our lives in every possible aspect. And listening to others, not only on the surface, makes a difference. It's not only about facts and figures. Developing empathy and focus on meaningful interaction is key. We need to understand both our ratio and our emotion. Thank you so much, Olivier, for sharing and for coming on this podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast is a very involved audience. And so where can people connect with you and continue to engage with you and your work? Well, I'm actually quite active on LinkedIn and I'm happily receiving any comment, contact, I will respond. And other than that, anyone who is interested in how we're doing things at Lufthansa or within the Lufthansa systems world, please contact me and I'll happily invite you to have a look at our place and maybe virtually at this point in time, but after the crisis, then also physically. Thank you so, so much, Olivier. I'm so grateful for you coming on the Emotional Inclusion Podcast today and you too choosing to spend your early morning with us. And as you know, I'm on a mission to up-level emotional inclusion in the workforce. And your support, Olivier, in this endeavor means so much to me. And I hope that our audience will take in all your advice and insights that you have provided with us today. Thank you, Molly. It's been my pleasure and I wish you good luck on your mission. I think it's really very important. Thank you for having me here today. Thanks, Olivier. 
Friends, if this content is delivering value to you, and if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe, go to iTunes, go to Spotify, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to make emotional inclusion in the workforce a new norm. And your rating and reviewing really helps with that. Thank you again so much for tuning in. And until next time, my friends, be bold and be brave. Thanks for listening to my conversation today. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you have a chance, please rate and review, hit subscribe to receive new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out emotionalinclusion.com slash the podcast.